is Including You, the new series from Lead at Any Level. Including You features stories from chief diversity officers and other executives who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations. Our goal is to show what's working in companies just like yours, to give you the tools you need to keep pushing for progress in your own workplace. We want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone, including you. And now here's your host, Amy C. Wanninger. Welcome back to Including You. I'm your host, Amy C. Wanninger, the Inclusion Catalyst. My guest today is Elise Rylander. She is the director of DEI at Outward Bound USA, a nonprofit educational organization that serves people of all ages and backgrounds through challenging learning expeditions that focus on character development, leadership, and service. Outward Bound USA employs 1,100 staff across 11 organizations. Elise, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because your organization is an exciting and unique organization that does some really cool and really specific things. And let's start with why is inclusion such an important aspect of Outward Bound USA's approach to what they do? And why does this matter so much to them? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a, I definitely have a a multifaceted response. So going back to the origins of Outward Bound, not just within the U.S., but globally, one can definitely make the argument that the idea of inclusion and equity is something that's been built into our origins from when our founder, Kurt Hahn, started the work um, and started what we now know as Outward Bound, again, both in the U.S., but then across the globe as well. And there's a, uh, I won't, bore listeners with an overview of that history because you can go read those books and and do lots of research to find out all of the details. But again, from the origins, there was definitely a connection to World War II and Europe and everything, everything that was going on in that particular moment in time and some pretty firm lines in the sand, so to speak, that were drawn against what was being put forward by Hitler and Nazi Germany. And those experiences definitely impacted the way that both the founder, Kurt Hahn, moved through the world as as well as the way that the school was built up. And so at its core and from its inception, the work that Outward Bound has really been doing is trying to provide opportunities for individuals to be able to better connect to themselves, to others, and to the world around them, and doing that in the most compassionate and integrity-driven way. So now you fast forward many years, almost a century, And Outward Bound in the U.S. started in the 60s and and really began in in Colorado. And again, from that beginnings, there was an emphasis on connecting primarily with younger men um, who were uh, maybe not experiencing opportunities or advantages um, that were going to allow them to be able to really thrive um, and being able to to provide those for folks. And then obviously, as times changed, the, um, the demographics of our students have shifted quite a bit. Something that I think is interesting about Outward Bound, if you were to ask folks just in the public, what do you have you heard of Outward Bound and what comes to mind when you hear that name or that brand name? I think most often folks will will reply with something along the lines of, isn't that taking kids out backpacking in the Rockies? And often the image that gets conjured um, are like young white men, teenage white men. And that is a 
a portion of the students that come through our school system every year. We serve about 45,000 students a year across our 10 schools. But in fact, when we, our current CEO recently did some research and some digging around this, and what we discovered is um, that about 70% of those 45,000 students are actually students of color and are not coming from that sort of classic wilderness expedition school system. So those students are coming to us through direct partnerships with school districts. Um, they are experiencing outward bound classic courses in the way that they're getting out and connecting to nature. That is always an important part of the work that we do. But it isn't always that sort of what we call in the industry, like the big W wilderness, quintessential pinnacle experience. We're going to go conquer this mountain. That's not actually what the vast majority of our students are doing. We're helping to support them connect to themselves each other in the natural environment in, in other ways that are far more accessible to them in their lives in a day-to-day -day manner after they come to a course with us. So the work that we do in connecting to inclusivity and this idea of equity has, again, been woven throughout our whole history and is very much just a part of what we do every day and have been doing for a long time. Where we are now is in a moment in time in which we recognize and have recognized for a while that we need to be more intentional and strategic about that work moving forward so that we can ensure it's well-resourced and it's sustainable and it's actually creating the effects that we hope to be creating for our students and also for our employees. Thank you for the background on the organization because I wasn't as familiar with it and, and probably a lot of the people listening had the same misconceptions that you alluded to that it's backpacking in the Rockies for, for privileged kids. Is there is there a particular initiative or one one or two maybe aspects of inclusion that you've been focusing on recently that you feel are really making a difference in the organization and how you show up for your students or how you show up for each other internally? Yeah, there's been so much work that has been happening for a long time across the system. And when I refer to the system, I'm referencing there's 12 individual nonprofits that make up the federated system within the U.S. So we have two administrative nonprofits, one of which is the one organization I'm with, and then there's 10 schools. So there's been great work happening across the system for a long time. I am, my position is very new. I'm, I'm just two months actually into this role at the national level. But I've had a relationship with the organization through a DEI lens for many years. Uh, so I've supported the organization as a consultant around bringing better infusing DEI into the work that specific schools are doing. And then I also, through the nonprofit that I launched about a decade ago, have worked with two of the schools out here on the West Coast, which is where I'm located, um, to help create LGBTQ teen-specific programming. So the ways in which we've seen inclusion and equity show up over the last decade or longer, really, has just depended on the school who is in employment with those schools at different moments in time. What are the, what's the, what are the demographics of the students that are being served at those schools or the demographics of the staff? And so the work has really been informed kind of organically um, and a little bit more informally by those different pieces um, of that puzzle. And as like I mentioned, what we're trying to do now is, is to become far more intentional and strategic at that national level to make sure that we have all of the schools being able to leverage what they do really well as it relates to DEI work and bring that across the system, but also support them where they might be struggling or, or experiencing barriers. And that comes in a whole host of ways. So 
what is fun about my job um, is thinking about everything from the what does a student think when they go onto our website or view our social media channels all the way up to how is a board functioning. So I get to oversee and help support the work um, at really truly all levels of the organization and in all um, functional aspects. Um, so it's a lot of work <laughs> to <laughs> get your arms around. I joke that my uh, my business cards should say lead cat herder instead of director of DEI because I'm just trying to get every everybody's got great ideas and they're so passionate about really important topics and concepts and we just need to get everyone kind of heading in the same direction. So that is that's a large part of the work that I'm currently doing now. But to answer your question a little bit more specifically, like I said, there's just been so much fantastic work that's been going on and really been staff-led and staff-driven for a long time when we think about queer equity, racial equity, gender equity, equity in a whole host of ways that support a whole host of different communities. So as you're doing this work in all these different places, it sounds like you've almost got um, incubators, if you will, for ideas in the different communities or the the different um, schools that you have and then Mm -hmm. they can test ideas and the best ideas bubble up but then if they get stuck you're a point of contact to pull from all these different ideas to help them move forward with what they're working on it do I have that yes that's definitely I think that's something that has happened again a bit more informally or uh, without as much support or structure at the national level. And and so that's what we're shifting now that I'm in this position is being able to bring those schools together and provide that that structure and that support and also allow them to just have more awareness too across the system of what's going on um, really well. The schools are incredibly busy. We're nonprofits. And so we there's never enough resources for all the things that we want to do. And so it's really easy for the schools to get into a bit of a shielded focus onto what's happening in their, their school and not really be able to pick their heads up and look around the system and see what's going on. So that is part of my job is to help increase those opportunities to hear from the other schools and really get an understanding of that school might be a little bit further ahead than others when we think about um, cultural competence training for staff. So how do we take those good learnings and bring those across the system? Another school might be really great at supporting queer students. And so how do we take those learnings and bring that across the system? So that is, that's very much um, the work that I'm, I'm doing now. And we haven't gotten far enough into the process to, I think, get to that Uh, maybe more exciting and intentional incubation phase of, okay, let's test this out here and see how it works in California. And can we bring that to Minnesota or to Philly? But that's definitely something that we will be doing. And we're really good at as a system because we have done that in many other ways when we think about course type or curriculum experiences for students. So that will be one of the ways in which we're, we're able to figure out what works for us and how do we then make that happen at scale and sustain that across the system. I wanted to ask, when you talk about your students, are these short-term courses, like they do, like they might learn how to do like ropes courses in in the mountains and the Rockies, for example, over a weekend, or is it a longer, like almost a semester long program that they go through that culminates in some sort of an adventure. How does that work for the students? What's their experience like and their level of involvement or commitment in in the work that you all do with them? Yeah, it really varies. So we have some experiences that are three or five days long. 
all the way up to semesters, or we have our school in New York is actually structured very differently than the rest of the schools. And that is a a school that runs, it's a school. So like we would think of any traditional school. And so they have students that are there for a full year or multiple years, and then engage in, in the, what we would call maybe the more classic outward bound experience during the summertime or, or throughout that school year. So yeah, it really depends on who the student is, how they're coming to us, what their interests are that help determine the the experience that they have with us, unless they're coming through a school group. And then that's something that is maybe there's a little less agency for that particular individual student because they're there as a part of their high school or their middle school, and they're participating in a, a specific group program. And again, those engagements can vary. That could be a couple of weeks culminating in a five-day wilderness experience. It could be a couple of day programs in which they're participating in things like ropes courses or doing more like on the ground experiential education learnings. So yeah, we we do it all. And then there's also a professional services group. So we do work with teachers and educators and we work with adult populations as well. So pretty much anything that you could think of or dream of, we probably offer it in some way, shape or form to our students. That's so cool. And it gives me all these ideas and, and uh, fantasies of, of going on these adventures. <laughs> And I'm wondering, like, how do you capture the imagination, the imaginations of these students or of the schools, given that you're serving such different populations in different places? What does that look like in terms of how do we appeal to young people who are decreasingly aware of the outside environment because they are so tech-focused, they are so tech-centric? How do you lure them outside in the first place? But how do you capture their imagination in a way they can see themselves doing some of this programming? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's the main focus for one of our um, organizations within the system. And there's so many folks that have dedicated their careers to helping answer <laughs> that question. And it's a question that I've been in this industry now for over half of my life. And it's a question that... We were asking when I started out over 17 years ago, and it's one that we're still asking. And I don't think that it is actually as dire as maybe we can think of it, or the average person might think the situation is. Of course, there things continue to change. We're having to deal with anxiety related to not having your cell phone. And some of those things are, are different than they were maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But at its core, once we're able to get a student really into the experience and bought into it. And they don't have to be fully bought in, but if we can just open that door, our methods and our staff are so good at what they do that most students walk away with a really wonderful experience. And we've been able to do the things that we have set out to do, which is again, help them connect better to themselves, others, and to the world around them. And and sometimes sometimes we do get students that are on our open enrollment courses are being sent via their parents. And that's always an interesting thing to navigate. Sometimes it doesn't work out when the student isn't able to complete the course. But I think more often than not, again, because our staff are so amazing and we've been doing what we've been doing for so long, they are able to bring most students around and they do have a really wonderful and fantastic experience. I've spent a lot of time in the field and I've seen that happen, but I I think the other component of it and something that we talk a lot about is making sure that 
we are paying attention to connecting to an understanding the individual perspectives and experiences of our students. So it's really important for us that we continue our work of our students that come through our system every year, our students of color. I can tell you that we do not have that uh, when we think about the staff that are, are leading those students through those courses. We have some schools that are maybe a little bit closer to that than others, but we have a lot of work to do when we think about the representation of identities amongst our staff. And that's been a topic of conversation that long predates my arrival. So that's part of it too. Allowing the students to have that experience is one thing or supporting them and having that experience is one thing, but we could, when we can facilitate that by somebody that looks like them and is coming from their community, that is when we are able to take uh, those outcomes and the, the sustainability of those outcomes to that next level. Um, so again, lots of great work has been happening on that front that long predates my arrival here. And it's something that we as a system um, need to get better at and need to figure out what is the what are the keys to success of some of those schools and how do we scale that to be able to meet the need of the changing demographics of our students and just of this country too. Yeah, and I think that's an issue that's top of mind for a lot of people, not just in the nonprofit space. How do we serve a changing community more effectively? That's true in any product or service-oriented business as well for-profit business, look, the, the demographics of our market are changing. How do we appeal? The demographics of our talent pool are changing. How do we appeal to, to the talent and make sure that we have the right representation inside our organization so it'll appeal to the folks that we're trying to reach outside of our organization? So I don't think you're alone mm -hmm. in that, but I think the mm -mm. kind of the, maybe the nuance of what you're doing and the way you're serving is probably particularly important when you're talking about getting these kids to connect, primarily kids, to connect with the adult leaders, to connect with the, the experience. I appreciate the, I appreciate that subtle urgency that you might have that other organizations haven't hit yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important for us to understand the collective we does this in many ways and coming from the outdoor recreation economy for as long as I have. I can confidently say that we have done this over and over again. And, and that the, the thing that I'm referring to is making the assumption, the false assumption that there aren't, in particular, our emphasis has been on race. There aren't people of color. It used to be women. The same thing happened with binary gender and with women 25 years ago. There's this false assumption that there aren't people of color that are interested in getting in the outdoors or are interested in being employed at organizations that do the type of work that we do. And that's just patently false. I can provide so many examples of the ways in which that is so fundamentally incorrect. So it's really important for us to understand that and to understand that as an organization, we have a history of and a culture of being savioristic in the way that we think about the work that we do. And as, like I said, we are 70% students of color. We are not 70% staff of color. So we are very white led in, in many ways. And I see the ways in which the intention is not malicious, but the ways in which we are a product of the culture that we live in. And there is a bit of that white saviorism that can proliferate the way that we look at the gaps that we have and how we approach building those. And so that is another component of my job is to caution us against making assumptions about 
demographics that we don't currently have well represented, maybe within our employment pool? And how do we go about changing that? And how do we do that in a way that isn't going to require them to assimilate to what we have historically, how we have historically been maybe as a culture, as an organization, but is going to actually truly be inclusive of a diversity of identities and lived experiences. And that's going to help us enrich the work that we do and then create retention for our staff. That's the other component. We could have an amazing recruitment strategy and bring people in, but do they want to stay once they're here? And that's also where we can see the wheels fall off the bus, not just for us, but many organizations. So we have to to be very cautious and intentional in how, in the language that we use to talk about these types of things and, and what we're experiencing. And also, you know, how do we go about changing and evolving from where we are now to where we want to be in the next five to 10 to 25 years? You bring up a good point about retention, because I think a lot of organizations try to recruit their way out of a turnover problem. Mm-hmm. And that is a very expensive <laughs> An unsustainable proposition. Mm-hmm. When you truly have the cultural transformation inside, then you have then you can have the kind of retention that attracts more people in, rather than constantly pursuing and backfilling, and and uh, and a lot of times like whitewashing the problem. And I admire the reflection and the cultural shift that you're trying to make uh, to keep this sustainable for the long term. What do you see as the, the right priority right now for Outward Bound USA moving forward like over the next year? Oh my gosh, that's the million dollar question. The biggest thing that we need to do is to create deeper understanding of what's happening across the system as it relates to our DEI work and, and be able to align the schools together to create a national vision in the same way that we have been able to do that when we think about risk and safety work. So that's something that is very consistent across the schools. Because there's been an enormous amount of effort in the last 25, 30 years on behalf of the industry, as well as the outward bound system to make sure that we are being safe physically when we are on course. And that over the last maybe 15 years has continued to expand when we think about like social emotional safety as well. But I think we an area that we are strong is we think about when we think about the consistency as it relates to risk and safety um, when folks are participating in our courses and that's any type of course. So we need that same level of connectedness um, and arguably we probably need to, to go beyond the level that we are at with risk and safety right now because there's so much nuance to DEI work. We need to be that connected and aligned as a system. So that's the big task that I have in front of me right now is to gather all the information, relevant information from across the system and be able to develop structures and tools and systems that help other schools engage with the work that's happening at that system level and then create a really clear strategy and get alignment around what we want to do, recognizing the unique gifts and talents and and areas of expertise within specific schools and regions, but aligning us to that kind of bigger vision. When we say outward bound in the U.S., we all understand what that means from a a DEI perspective or through a DEI lens. And we're agreed upon how we are each playing a unique role in helping to move that work forward. So a lot of that work remains to be seen, because I mentioned I'm only two months into this role. 
but because of the foundation that's established compared to other similar experiences that I have had in these types of roles, uh, I think it's going to go well and maybe move a little bit more quickly than in other situations that I have been in. So I'm, I'm optimistic about us being able to get that alignment and, and make some really exciting leaps forward shorter in a shorter time frame than maybe you, you might see at other organizations. Elise Rylander, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise and your experience with us and for sharing a little bit more about your organization, Outward Bound USA. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And you're never too old for an Outward Bound course. And this is true for anyone who's listening. So feel free to check us out. And we'd love to help support anyone get out and about um, and connect to themselves and others in the natural world. That's great. Thank you. I'll make sure to include the links in the show notes so people can find you and find the organization uh, directly. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube. Then join us for Including You video simulcast every Thursday at noon Eastern. Including You can also be enjoyed each week as part of the Living Corporate Audio Podcast Series. Available on all major podcast platforms. Learn more at living-corporate.com. Including You is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within. Lead at Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You. That's it for this week's episode of Including You. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a comment or a review to help others find us as well. And be sure to join me next week when my guest will be Crystal McNack from Enbridge.